God and instructions, and a great number of them are found in these chapters that we've been looking at. And you say, well, we're only at chapter 24, we still got 10 chapters, and I'm going to finish tonight. One of the great blessings about this is that you can't go through the law and preach it as if this is what Christians are supposed to do today because we're not. We're not under the law, we're under grace. And we've already preached on that and we looked from the New Testament about what the Bible clearly says. That uh, even the Ten Commandments, the Christian is not under obligation to obey any of the law. The law was given to the children of Israel. It's true, it's a fact. And uh, the New Testament is very clear about the fact that we're no longer under the law but under grace. But that doesn't mean you throw out Exodus 20 to 34. It doesn't mean that you ignore the truths that are found here. What we are supposed to do is we're supposed to take the Old Testament law and the things that God, God teaches there and we're to use them for our benefit in learning today because there are things to glean from it. Otherwise, you know, you just throw out the whole Old Testament. Well, yeah, it tells us about Jesus Christ, but then we just kind of throw that out. That's not what God intended. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and there's value in all of it, and there's lessons to be learned even in all those names and numbers and, and Leviticus and, and all the laws and rules and regulations and all the other things that God speaks, and we've been trying to study that out. Now, I told you there are basically six questions that we glean from and we learn in the New Testament that direct our attention to what we're going to learn and what we're going to get from the Old Testament. So, you know, what do I do when I study the Old Testament and how can I find help in it? So you're going to help me with these things. You remember the six questions, right? Yeah, none of you remember the six questions because I've been bringing them out every time we've been going through this these laws and you forget every time. But that's all right because... I have them right in front of me, so I can cheat, all right? But uh, first question we ask is what Jesus Christ told the people to do in his day. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think that ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. First question is, do I see Jesus? And so as we go through the Old Testament, a question we should be continually asking ourselves, do I see Jesus here? Do I see Jesus here? Interesting, we made mention of the fact that we just, we just saw it this morning. They, the Israelites drank of the rock, and that rock was the Christ. So we see Jesus in, in the rock. Um, and, uh, and that's an amazing, amazing truth that, by the way, we wouldn't know except in the New Testament we're told that fact that we can look back at that story. So do I see Jesus? The second question that I, I told you you can ask, and based on Romans 15, is there any hope? You see, the Old Testament thing, uh, Bible passages were given for our learning that we as believers might have hope. So is there any hope that I find in the stories of the Old Testament? The third uh, thing, and this is what we looked at today in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is there any admonition? You remember in, in, in that passage we studied out today and we learned from, uh, God talks about the fact that what happened to Israel coming out from Egypt and going into the promised land was giving, given as an example for us. And there were a number of things we even saw today in 1 Corinthians 10. So is there any admonition? Uh, the fourth question you can ask, is there New Testament truth which is clarified or elaborated on. So when I come to the Old Testament, I don't say, okay, what do I need to do in regard to this law? I say, the New Testament teaches this. Does the Old Testament help us understand it better? 
and there are things that we can learn from the Old Testament. In fact, quite honestly, a lot of what we've been looking at in the book of Exodus has been a great help to that because in the law, God talks about a lot of practical things about, okay, if someone's caught stealing, what do you do? By the way, if our government would just follow uh, Exodus chapter 20 to 34, we wouldn't have all the problems that we have in our, in our society today, and we wouldn't have all the, the justice system that's backed up for, what, 10 years behind, where people uh, who are, are convicted of a crime will sometimes sit for two years before they ever stand before a judge, and they're judged for their, their crimes. And if you just would follow the law and you just lay it out as God did, so quite honestly... Uh, New Testament truth about righteousness and justice and about, about dealing with things. Old Testament, the law a lot of times clarifies those things, answers them. Uh, you know, dealing with, with a, a variety of different issues. So uh, what New Testament truth is clarified or elaborated on? Uh, number five, God, God gives us this reference, or Peter mentions the fact in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 14 to 16, I believe it is. We're to be holy because... God is holy, but you know, it is written, be ye holy as I am holy. Where is it written? Old Testament, all right? So that, uh, that fifth question, are there any lessons on holiness? If God expects me to be holy as he's holy, then I need to learn about what a holy God expects and desires and wants. I think the law is a great lesson in that. Quite honestly, um, uh, the, the writings of the major and minor prophets, great pictures of the holiness of God, what he's like, what he expects, uh, how he demands righteous living. And, and so are there any lessons on holiness since God is a holy God and wants us to be such? And then uh, finally, we, we've uh, looked at the fact and we mentioned the fact that I think it's in Second Peter chapter 1, but God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And this kind of goes along with the matter of holiness, but the sixth question is what knowledge of God is found. So what do I learn about God? And, um, and Exodus chapters 20 to 34 have been giving us a lot of knowledge about God. And we've asked those questions, and that has kind of guided our study. We divided the law, chapters 20 to 34. This is all review. Don't you love review? All right, but we divided the law into basically three parts. It's not really fair because it's kind of like intermixed a little bit in these chapters. But there's three basic things we said. Uh, first of all, uh, we in, in the law, we learned about the basic law or the law section of Exodus. Chapters 20 and, uh, sorry, 20, 21, 22, and 23. Uh, chapter 24 starts out with instructions about worship or lessons from worship instruction. And that's kind of where we're at now in chapter 24 and on through the, a, a number of chapters here. Uh, and we'll go, we'll review very uh, very briefly what's what was going on in there. And then we mentioned there was a, a third thing. Does anyone remember what that is? Okay, the congregational response. Uh, when the law is presented the first time, what do the children of Israel do? And then, by the way, what do the children of Israel do 40 days later when Moses is in the mountain? He hasn't come down. So we learn about the congregational response. God gives his law, and, uh, and here's what the people do. So those three things basically make up chapter 20 to 34. You got all that? You have it all down? Good. Thank you very much. We've reviewed all the things. So let's pick up now, and here's where we left off. Uh, we are in the list. We've look, we're looking at the worship instructions. And actually, I said it was 24. 
but it was actually 23, chapter 23, starting in verse 14, where God begins to lay out for the, the children of Israel the feasts and the other things that are supposed to take place, the worship instructions. And so how do we learn from these and what benefits are they? Okay, we're not supposed to celebrate the feast. Remember I told you I had a guy who called and say, does your church celebrate the Jewish feast? And the answer is no. Are we opposed to the Jewish feast? I think they're fine. I think they're great, but they're not for us. We don't need to do them. Well, I believe that we need to still we need to still do those feasts. They teach us great truths. They do teach great truths. By the way, just as the temple and the layout in the temple and the tabernacle teaches great truths about God and pictures Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a lot of things to learn, but that's not for us, and that's not what we're supposed to do. So how do we glean from it? Well, the first thing we learned, first thing we mentioned under the worship instructions is this. God's people should rejoice in God's goodness. That's what the feasts were all about. The feasts were getting together as, as if you would, God's people to just rejoice in the fact that God had been good. God's delivered us from Egypt, the Passover. Wonderful time for all the children of Israel to come together and say, what a God we serve. And by the way, every Sunday is a great day for us to get together, first day of the week, and say, what a God we serve, who died, who was buried, who rose again. And we celebrate that each and every week. Uh, not just Easter, we celebrate it every week as we think about and we gather together on the day our Lord has risen from the dead. So we all rejoice in the goodness of God when we gather together and as God calls us to gather together. Then the second thing we learned, chapter 23 and verse 20, and yes, we're still all reviewing. <laughs> Don't you? Half the message will be review, review here. God doesn't leave his children alone. And that was a wonderful truth he brought out. So he says, all right, starts in verse 14. All right, let's talk about the feast. And then right after that, he says, I'm sending my angel. My angel has, has been guiding you. will continue to guide you the rest of the way. Every step of the way till you get in the promised land, I will be with you. I will guide your life. So God doesn't leave his children alone. We learn in verse 20. We learn that God directs and guides his children. And another truth we can glean, as we know the New Testament tells us, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And I'm thankful. I'm telling you, thank you. I'm thankful God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He's given us a word. He's given us his spirit that dwells within. And the word and the spirit give us the direction and guidance we need for life to live to the glory of God. We learn that God is to be obeyed and served. Uh, an important truth in chapter 23, verses 20 to 22. We also learned, and, and this is a, this was a great one. I, I, I enjoyed uh, spending time on this. In chapter 23, verses 25 to 33, we learned God takes wonderful care of the details of life. Um, I, and and I, I love the portion. Look at verse 28. I, I told you chapter 24, but look at chapter 23, and here I want to go back and preach on the bugs again. But look at verse 28 once again. Where he says, and I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And, I, and it's, it's a beautiful picture of how God just takes care of all the details of life. And that God wasn't going to just, okay, lay it all in there. Here's the land. Take it over. Because the truth is, they wouldn't have had the time and they wouldn't have been able to go and, and totally take over the, the entire land and, uh, if you would, have it kept up. But God was going to just remove people at the time they needed to be removed as the people would come to different sections of this land God had promised. 
And then God said this. He said, you know, there's going to be times you won't even battle because I'm going to send hornets. And these hornets are going to so bug these people. There you go, all right? It's going to so bug these people that they are just going to want to move, you know? So it's like, I don't know. You know, Can, can you picture it? Just like, uh, yeah, honey, there's a lot of bugs this year, aren't there? There's a lot. And there's, there's hornets, and man, I've been getting bit and everything. I think we need to move. And like a whole town, I guess, you know, decided they would do that at a certain time. And, and, uh, and there is no way that anyone could ever measure hornets. There's no way the children of Israel could have come in and said, well, look, look at what God did. He sent hornets. The people decided to move, and they left their houses. They left all this stuff. We just move in. It's move in ready. I mean, this is one of those, you know, as is, home, free, take it. You know, uh, we're, we're just leaving. And, uh, and, but the thing is, there is no way the Israelites would have known that except God said, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to, at times, send hornets. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of all the details of your life. And, and I'll tell you, the New Testament bears out the same truth. God takes care of every detail of our life in ways you and I could never, could never uh, explain. In fact, sometimes we won't even know it was the hand of God, except for the fact that we know that God daily loads us with benefits. So, um, you know, who's, who's to say that, that your vehicle hasn't gotten better mileage than most vehicles just like yours? Because God in his grace and mercy said, that's something that I'm going to give to bless this Christian that they will never really understand or know. You know, it's just, these are things that clothes won't wear out as, as fast as maybe they would have normally. Um, you know, there's just so many things we can't measure, and, and that's what I love about that passage. It's like, I'm going to send hornets, and they're going to cause these people to leave so that, and I'm only going to do it little by little, so that you can move in, and you're going you're gonna to end up Getting the land, the land won't be desolate. The land won't be in bad shape. It's going to be in perfect shape because I'm going to take care of it when you need it, only when you need it. I'm going to take care of it as you need it because I'm a great God. And then we ended up, and this is where we were in chapter 24. Because he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And here's the, here's the truth. This is the reason they were to gather together was to do what? You know, this whole section is about worship, and we learn that God is worthy of our worship. And we're reminded of that truth. Now, we know that in the New Testament. We know that from the gospel accounts and what Jesus Christ did for us, that he is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our best worship. And, and uh, this whole, actually, a number of these chapters are all about how to worship God. In fact, starting in chapter 24, this is why we can get through 10 chapters and, and, finish, and finish this today, because a lot of it is, this is how you're going to build a tabernacle. And this is how you're going to clothe Aaron when he goes to do worship in, in the service of God. You know, what do we learn about that? Well, not a lot, quite honestly, except for the fact that there is a God who is worthy of worship and there is a God who has given us directions for worship and as Christians, we are not to ignore either. We're not to ignore worshiping him nor are we to deny the fact that God has given us and ordained the fact that we are supposed to worship him the way he has called us to worship, not the way we think. So worship is not about a bunch of people getting together and, and saying, we just want everyone to feel good about themselves and be happy and leave our place. Woo, feeling good. Okay, worship is all about my coming to God his way as a, as a believer who is obedient to him, doing what he's told me, 
and by the way, following his plan. Now, I know a fundamentalist, we are, we, they, they accuse us of being rigid and unwilling to change, and sometimes we are rigid and unwilling to change things that don't matter. And sometimes we stand and we fight for things that don't matter, and that's wrong. But I will say this. If you think God hasn't given us instructions and guidelines for worship in the matter of our music, in the matter of how we're supposed to approach God, in the matter of how we, we even deal with things in regard to our services, you are mistaken. If God would give all this instruction in Exodus and, and say, here's how you worship me, and then come to the New Testament and say, bless God, worship me any way you want. I just love you. That is so inconsistent. It's inconsistent with what the New Testament teaches. It's inconsistent with what God did in the Old Testament. So our job is to find out how do you worship God and do it. And that's uh, an important truth. God has called us to worship. And now we get to, in chapter 24, finally, the, where we left off in the outline, actually. It's number 7, letter B, uh, point .16942. Yeah, all right. This really did get far longer than it was supposed to. All right, but here's the truth that we learn in chapter 24. God has ordained authority. In chapter 24, we have Moses, Nadab, Aaron, Abihu, the 70 elders, and they come, and, and what their job was going to be to do was to worship God, and they did. Moses is called up to the mount here in this chapter. We're not reading it all the way through because there are things, actually, we could probably preach some individual truths, but we're just trying to give you this overview and idea of what we can learn. And what we find in this, in this law is, and in the law God gives, is that God has had given to the children of Israel authorities in their lives that were supposed to guide and direct them and help them. And by the way, those authorities had different responsibilities. We could take time to go through and talk about where the 70, where did the 70 come from? Well, Moses got real tired of taking care of all the problems of the children of Israel. And, uh, and he was worn out, and he was going to wear out. And his father-in-law, believe it, his father-in-law, you need to hear this one, his father-in-law helped him. Gave him some advice, gave him some counsel. And that, yeah, we're getting in trouble, aren't we, Brother Harold? Yeah, I know, because I, I got a father-in-law too, yeah. So, uh, you know, his father gave him some advice. And so he then, following that advice and counsel, gets, gets together a bunch of judges that are going to be able to, and, and men who are responsible to take care of and help. But the point that we can make in chapter 24 is that God, God actually was working in and through them in this chapter. So they were to come and they were to worship God. The children of Israel were, in a sense, kept separated from all this. They weren't part of this in chapter 24, uh, the children of Israel. They're, they're involved a little bit, and there's some mention made. But in reality, this is just, okay, look, I'm gonna, uh, you're, they're going to come. They're going to worship. They have a responsibility. And in this chapter, a couple things happen that teach us about how God has ordained, ordained authority. Um, that authority is to be shown respect, and we could say a lot about it. Uh, in verses 1 to 18, various types of authority are found. We, got, we have Moses, we have Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, we have the 70 elders, uh, and we have Moses. And each had responsibility from God, and none were to take over that responsibility. And when they did, by the way, anyone know what happened when Aaron tried to take over responsibility wasn't given to him? And Miriam, remember what happened there? You know, got themselves in trouble, didn't they? Because God has ordained authority, and they have responsibilities. By the way, authorities are supposed to worship God too. You know, sometimes authorities think that they get a big head, and they think they're authorities. 
no one's going to tell me what to do. But the truth is authorities are under the great authority, under the God of heaven and earth, and they have a responsibility to him. So, so look, a, a, a deacon is, is, uh, is under the authority of God. A pastor is under the authority of God. It doesn't matter who they are. No one is above the reach of and the authority of God. And they need to remember that. They all have responsibilities. And they have specific responsibilities. They have a job to do. And God will judge them if they don't. Um, and you say, well, wait a second. Old Testament, are you talking about the children of Israel? Moses, Moses came, told the people all the words of the Lord in verse 3 and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice. So they are found a little bit in this passage. Uh, but... Uh, uh, then then uh, they, he sent young men, the children of Israel, and they were to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. So they had responsibilities, and they were supposed to fulfill their responsibilities that they were given. You say, again, what's it have to do with the New Testament? Ephesians 4, God's given the pastor, the teacher, he's given the evangelist for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edify, edifying of the body of Christ. God's given everyone responsibility and the duty. God's given every Christian a gift that they are to use for the cause of Christ and for the, for the work of God to move forward in the body of Christ to be what it needs to be. And everyone's supposed to do their part. That, that means you too. And that is what we find at least laid out for us in the law a couple different times, but in this chapter we find it. They have responsibilities. And get this, they're to be followed. Look at verses 13 and 14. Moses rose up and his minister Joshua. Moses went up into the Mount of God. And by the way, he was following God's leadership. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. You know, do, do you see do you actually catch what's going on? Moses is the authority. They've been coming to him, but Moses is going to be gone. He's going to be up in the mount. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. As long as God has me, has me away. So as long as God has me away, here's what he says. Okay, now I'm going to delegate this responsibility, and I'm going to pass it on, and you listen to what they have to say. Aaron and her are the ones that are responsible now until I come back. So they're to be followed. And we learned that, by the way, in the New Testament. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account in Hebrews 13, 17. Awesome responsibility for the authority. I'm going to give account to God for what I do in teaching and training you and doing what I'm supposed to do as a leader. You are going to give account to God for how well you listened. That's right. That means you need to wake up tonight and pay attention to the message. All right. Not because it's a great message from a great preacher, but because, because this is a God-given authority sharing with you God-given truth, and you will be held accountable for what you do with it. And God says, here's what I'll give account for. Uh, th this is kind of interesting, Hebrews 13, 7. God, I'll give account for how well you listened. Not that I will be judged for it, but that you will be judged for it. So I guess, in some sense, the Lord's going to ask me at some point, did, did Brother Farrington listen? <laughs> oh, man. Did Brother Farrington listen? Uh, yeah. Did Matt Duncan, was he playing games back in the sound area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Football season. I know what's going on back there. No. But there seems to be an indication that, that God's people will be held accountable for how well they have listened to the authority that God has given to their lives. By the way, that would include that would include me during a revival service when someone is preaching the word of God or when I sit in, in um, 
Brother Deal's Sunday school class and learn from the Word of God. I'm responsible, too, to learn because I'm not above that. And God would have me to learn from the Word. So we have this picture, beautiful picture in the chapter of authority who come and they worship God, which is a great truth, but also an authority who said, all right, look, there are issues that come up. When issues come up, here's who's responsible and here's what needs to happen. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we just need, today we need to understand. People don't understand authority anymore. And, and it's uh, amazing that authorities are undermining authorities all the time in our, in our society, whether it's a husband and a wife who are fighting against one another and undermining their own authority in their home as one says you can do it and the other says you can't or when they allow kids to come to dad, and if they don't get it from dad, they can go to mom. Um, you know, it, and, I, and I'll just say it, in, in our home, if dad said, dad said no, uh, mom's answer is already no. You don't even need to ask her. Don't bother, and if you do, you're going to be in trouble for asking because the truth is we're, we're one, we're a team, we're working together, and we're both authorities in your lives, and the authorities are going to be in agreement here. That's the way it's going to be. Um, and wow, I could get off on that subject, and I have a little bit, but it's an important thing to understand. And a lot of people don't understand authority today, um, and and people people want you to obey them, but then it's amazing how those authorities will undermine other authorities and think there's nothing wrong with that. And it's important that we just learn that God has given it, God has designed it in every area of life. He's given authorities. We mentioned that, didn't we, on Mother's on Mother's Day? God's given. When God laid out government, God gave authority and God gave them responsibility and God said, listen, when God laid out the home, he gave responsibilities and he gave them a position and he said, you know what, oh, children, obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. When God laid out the church, he gave, he gave responsibilities. He did. This idea that, well, look, this, okay, I'll get myself in trouble here, but I'm going to do it anyway. This idea of congregational rule, the whole congregation now, we are all... God has given authorities in the church. And, and, and God never intended for 100 people to be the authority in the church. He hasn't. He has not done that. Now, they have a say. In fact, they're re, they are responsible ultimately for choosing a, a man to lead them. But then God has given that man the responsibility of leading. And he's supposed to do that. And I'm thankful that, that you understand that truth and you let me do that as a pastor. It's a blessing. God has given authority. Here's another thing. Now we're getting, uh, you say, you haven't read all that much. I know because I'm, I'm assuming you read all these things, right? You've been reading this. You've been reading it for the last 20 minutes anyway as I've been rambling on, all right? So in chapter 25, the Lord speaks unto Moses and he says, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. And by the way, that's, that's another thing. We've already actually mentioned a little bit about that. But uh, we have the tabernacle now laid out for us. Chapter 25, uh, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 27. Uh, look, at, uh, look at verses 8 and 9. Um, he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I will show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall you make it. Um, now, let me ask you a real, real simple question here. Okay, did these people have a, have a, a choice in um, what utensils they used, what equipment they used, and what they were going to do in regard to the worship of the Lord? It, it's really, it's not a trick question. And the answer is no. He said, I, I mean, so much so, I'm going to tell you what you're supposed to do with the, the forks and the, and, the, and the spoons that would be used. 
for dealing with the incense. I mean, I'm going to go into detail about all this stuff. Here's how you're supposed to do it. You're going to make an altar to me. Here's what the altar is going to look like. Here's here's how it's going to be made. Here's what you're going to do with it. And it is it is my altar where the offerings are to be made. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to build this, this um, we, we call it the Holy of Holies. You're going to have this area where uh, there are going to be uh, seraphims that are going to that are going to be uh, built, and and we just we have this all these things lined out. Here's how you're going to cover this building: badger skins. Um, you, you can't do it your own way. This is all God had a tabernacle laid out for the children of Israel, and He gave them great details. Uh, look at chapter 27 and verse 20. Um, let's see, in verse 21, if you would. Uh, in the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever unto their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. So Aaron had responsibilities and jobs and tasks. Chapter 30 talks about verses 34 to 38. Some more examples, the great detail and the thorough plan God had for the worship of him. And here's the truth that I think sometimes we forget. God is a God of order and decency. The, oh, God. yeah, sure, I'm, I get myself in trouble anyway. The charismatic movement has done a lot to, I think, in new evangelicalism to harm uh, the idea that God is a God of order and decency. Um, you say, well, why is that? Because their, their focus and, and, and most everything about their ministry is all some experience that they have that just kind of comes upon them. So services are actually rather bizarre. I have heard numerous testimonies. I've had people personally tell me, I've read numerous testimonies of people who were just frightened in services because all sorts of strange things were going on in the midst of, of a number of charismatic services because, well, people would be just speaking out. Uh, people would be, well, yeah, I guess they do that independent fundamental Baptist, but, um, but when they start saying, shuck that corn, I'm thankful you don't do that. You know, that's when you, that's when you just, just put your... Put your foot down, you know. That's enough. That's that's got it's got to stop, all right. But uh, there's just this this mentality that that God just moves us and something happens and okay. But when we look at Scripture and we look at we look at the tabernacle, we see that God had ordained and, and actually laid out everything, not only about how it was going to be built, how it was going to be made, but then here is how Aaron is going to approach me. He's going to be dressed a certain way. He is going to do certain things. He's going to follow a certain prescribed order. This is the way I have it laid out. Now, I know fundamentalists can be staunch in our way. If you don't have two songs in prayer and then song and offering and everything else and we don't ever change our ways, there's nothing biblical about that, right? But there is something biblical about decency and order. Um, I used as as a pastor in former ministry. I still do it today. Um, I lay out the music schedule for actually for months. Um, yeah, you don't know that, but uh, you know I have I have a list, and we have songs. By the way, I don't care if things change, and sometimes they do. And there may be a service where I'm preaching on something. We may change a song or something to that effect. There's nothing wrong with that, but. Um, as a, as a pastor dealing with music years ago in former ministry, had someone criticize me because I didn't allow the spirit to work. And I, I thought to myself at the time, you know, I felt a little bit guilty right at the first when they said that. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought, so you mean to tell me the spirit of God can't move more than three months in advance? In fact, here's the truth. There have been a lot of times where we'll come to a service, I'm preaching on a subject, and, and the list of songs that were made months ago have 
beautiful songs that are very fitting to the message that's going to be preached that day. Well, is that to say the Spirit of God didn't do that because, well, it was a couple months in advance? Look, the idea that, that we, can't, we can't plan the music in a service ahead of time because we have got to wait for the Spirit of God to move, which is this idea of the charismatic movement, is inconsistent with a God who is a God of decency and order. It really is. Now, again, we, we, you say, well, wait a second, New Testament, where do we teach that? Ah, dealing with the charismatic movement in, in, in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God straightened them out about a bunch of stuff they were doing wrong in the matter of tongues. Now, I don't even have time to get off on that subject of tongues. There's no way we can deal with that right now. Um, it isn't, well, okay, see, I'm going to get in trouble. I won't go off in that direction, all right? But he actually corrected so many things that they were doing wrong because they were just, they were just, there's a lot of outbursts that were wrong. There were people that were involved in it that weren't supposed to be doing it. There were people that were just speaking out in church and weren't supposed to be speaking out. And here's how he ended that chapter. He said, because God is a God of decency and order. Let all things be done decently and in order. Why? Because that's the way God is. Say, where do we find that? Genesis. Look at the creation. Look, don't, don't you believe kind of could have just spoken everything into existence on day one? And then, you know, we have seven days and we come to day seven. I'm going to rest. But I took care of it all the first day. But God, God followed an order, prescribed order, which you say is, is absolutely crazy as far as what God had to do. He didn't have to make the world in six days. And why did he make certain things on certain days? Actually, by the way, to absolutely disprove evolution. I mean, I mean, for starters, no, it could, or, you know, the evolutionary process, it, it just couldn't have taken place. Because if there's millions of years between man and animals, um, then we got a bunch of problems with that. If there's, a, a, you know, like if there's thousands of years be, between when plants and, and this, it's just, but God is a God of decency and order. He follows that. He follows that in the church. He follows that in government. He follows that in every area of life. And when we ignore that, we're ignoring the way God works. Now, I'm not saying that it's, it's, it's sinful if someone gets up and says, hey, you know what? We're going to change the songs. We're going to let people choose their favorites tonight. There's nothing wrong with, with change. There's nothing wrong with making those things, um, you know, happen in a service or, or changing things up. But there is something when we ignore um, order and decency. And I'd say this, you know, this idea that, well, well you, know, you, you don't have to, don't bless God, don't prepare a number if just the Lord calls you, come on up and sing. I'm not asking you to do that, by the way. But I have been in services. Does anyone feel led to sing tonight? And, and uh, you know, th thankfully, well, I'm not going to do that. Brother Doyle, have you ever been? No, you haven't because you've often been leader, leading services. But uh, it's just amazing to me how uh, some people just want to throw out decency and order as if there's something unspiritual about it. When I look at God and I see God as a God of order and decency and the, the law and, and the tabernacle just lays out that very fact. Okay, there you go. Then um, look in chapter 28, if you would. In verses 36 to 38. And you're going to go back and read this all through. I know you are. But one of the things that they were supposed to do in this worship of God, he says, Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. 
You know, when Aaron was, was going to go in and worship God, by the way, look at the verse right before that. And tell me that la- what's the last phrase tells you about Aaron in ministering. This is interesting. He had to wear bells. Does that sound bizarre to you? He had to wear he had to wear bells on his on his clothing. <laughs> you hear Aaron go ding 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 every time he goes. All right, but there was there was order and decency, right? There there was a plan in that, and and God said that if he doesn't follow this, what? He's gonna die. God took it seriously. I, again, I don't understand why people don't take seriously this matter. God has a plan for things, and we should follow it. Um, okay, that's I keep getting off on that subject. So let's let's go back to think about this. Then he was supposed to wear a vestment that was supposed to remind him of something about God all the time. And this is where we get to one of the questions we say we ask ourselves when we come to the Old Testament. And what were they supposed to? What was he supposed to wear to constantly remind him and the children of Israel whenever they saw it on him that God is that God is a holy God. My friends, we serve a very, very holy God. And um, God wanted the children of Israel all the time to re- be reminded of that fact. Today, there is such an emphasis, and there's nothing wrong with, with preaching about love because God is a God of love. But we, you don't throw out holiness because of love, nor do you throw out love because of holiness work in perfect tandem with one another and they're both very important truths about God but God is a holy God and he demands holiness of his own and we're not going to look in the New Testament because we already referenced it 1 Peter 1 14 to 16 be ye holy as I am holy it's written that's whether in our worship in the workplace in your home daily life God demands holiness because he is holiness Here's what he said, follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12, 14, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Someone wrote this, I like it. When we consider the nature of God, the will of God, the call of God, the command of God, the promises of God, the provision of God, the power of God, the eternal purposes of God, the inevitable conclusion is that without holiness, we cannot please God. Chapter 29, verses 45 and 46. You see, I want to park it there and preach on each one of these. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. There is a wonderful truth brought out in the New Testament just like it is in the Old Testament, and it's this, God dwells with his own. God dwells with his own. I am... I am thankful that God has never left me nor forsaken me. And I need that. I need his, his presence in every day of life to make it. And so do you. And there's a wonderful truth that he shared with him as he's talking about the way to build the tabernacle and what they're supposed to do. And he says, I just want Israel to know, and this is going to be a reminder, with the tabernacle that you're building, that I'm with you. And what's great is that, honestly, it seems like to me the New Testament has a better picture because God's Holy Spirit dwells within it. You know, they had the tabernacle. They could see the tabernacle and say, God's with us. You know, we don't have to worry about seeing the tabernacle. We can know that God's Holy Spirit 
is within us and dwells with us all the time, every moment of every day. God dwells with his own. And finally, we come to the last section that we said, the, the third division, and, uh, and this is from the responses. So we talked about the worship of God. We talked about the laws that God has given. But then we talked about the responses of the children of Israel. And now that I came to chapter 29, go back to chapter 24 very quickly, and I want you to see, first of all, what took place. When he took the book of the covenant, he read it in the audience of all the people, and he did that, Moses did that here in chapter 24. What did the people say in verse 7? We'll do it. Oh, I love that. And don't you don't you love it when someone you, you try to help someone understand truth? And, yeah, we'll do it. Your kids, yeah, we'll do it. And then and then like a half hour later, you you know. But here's the thing: it is it is so easy for us to promise obedience. It's so easy to promise obedience, isn't it? It's easy to say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Just a, a child with a parent. Um, a, a, individuals with one another, boss, sure, we'll do it. Uh, it is easy to promise obedience. Now, that's a good thing, though. You're supposed to do that. When you've been given a command, when you're either under an authority and they're, they have the right to give you those, res- those responsibilities, say, I will do it, it's a good thing. It's easy to promise obedience. But there's something else we learn in this passage and we learn through the children of Israel that our human nature is utterly corrupt. That even though we want to do that which is right, within ourselves we find, as we mentioned this morning, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Because the truth is, although we may have the greatest desire in our heart, look, do you doubt the sincerity of Israel here? Now, you doubt it. You know why? Because you know the rest of the book. And because you know that there was like 8,000. Yeah, we'll obey you. And then just a few days. It was just 40 days later. 40 days later. When, when, when Aaron just takes the earrings and he throws them in and a calf comes out. That was Aaron's, that was Aaron's story and he was sticking with it. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened, Moses. wasn't my fault. I just told the people, let's do this. And when I threw it in, this calf came out. <laughs> okay, anyway, it's easy to promise obedience, but our human nature is utterly corrupt. And, and the children of Israel show that uh, in so many different places. We're confronted with it. Uh, actually, in Exodus chapter 32. So here's these people, they make this promise to God, which is right and which was good, and God wants us to do such things. Present your body a living sacrifice, right? New Testament, truth. God wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He wants us to have that obedient attitude and heart. But then you look at in verse 30 of chapter uh, 32. It came to pass on the morrows, Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. What was the great sin? 40 days after, uh, you know, this, when Moses is up in the mount, they, they call on Aaron, make us gods. We're going to go back to Egypt. And, and Aaron, Aaron gets these things. He fashions um, and the utter corrupt nature of mankind. It's easy for us to promise I'm going to live for the Lord. And by the way, that's, this is why sometimes people get frustrated in revivals. Oh, I've done that before. 
it's 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 easy. Not it, well, it's not always easy to admit that you're a sinner and you've got to change some things. But it is somewhat easy to say, yeah, I need to change. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. But when the rubber meets the road, we have a sinful human nature that wants to take us away from God. And if we think we're better than Israel, I encourage you to go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which says that what Israel did is an example to us because we have the very same nature within ourselves to go our own way, to do our own thing. And we shouldn't be confident in our own ability and our own strength to stand. We need to... Um, we need to just please the Lord with our lives. So then the final point that we learn from the children of Israel is this diligence must be given to holy living. Diligence must be given to holy living. And what we saw when Moses said to people, you sinned a great sin, and he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask God to have mercy on your soul for what you've done, for how you've lived. And he does that, and he gets serious about it. Oh, man, that must have been nasty. What did Moses do with the calf? Ground it up. Put it in the water. Okay, everyone's going to have a drink. Nasty stuff. But he was trying to confront them about the wickedness of their sin and their evil deed and what they had done. And uh, by the way, all that, all that gold that they had given up, it was all gone. They drank it. Moses said, you have, you have sinned against a holy God. This is, this is serious, people. You need to do something about it. And I'm going to go and I'm going to plead with God. And he does. This is where Moses gets alone with, with God and, and basically says, you know what, Lord, if you won't forgive their sin, blot my name out of the book. Which tells you about the heart he had for, for the people that God had given him to minister that he would be willing to have his name written on a, removed from the book of life. Didn't Paul say something like that, that he would, he would be willing to die for his people and, and be accursed? Um, but it, it all teaches us about how we need to be diligent about holy living. Um, it, it's a long message, the law of Exodus, you know, the laws that are found. There's so much to be gleaned, and there's so many more lessons that we probably could have brought out. But there's, um, there's just a lot to think about as Christians. And I know today, un unlike what we usually do, you know, we take a passage, we walk through it, we have truths, and we have just one basic truth. There's just a, there's like, we've been just throwing mud on the wall here, okay? There's a lot of stuff, but it wasn't mud. It really was a lot of truth that we can glean and we can consider and we ought from the word of God. And my challenge would be to you as a, as a Christian um, is, is to rejoice in the goodness of God and the wonderful blessings that we could glean from this, but also to be challenged as believers to truly live that holy life that God wants us to. Because the instructions in Exodus weren't written to us, but the instructions in the New Testament were, and they actually are somewhat pretty much the same. And that is we serve a holy God. We need to be holy to serve him, and we need to live that way. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the law and the fact that we could come thousands of years later to a law that was written to the children of Israel, not us, but we could come to that law and we can glean and learn truth 
that's found in the New Testament as instruction is given to believers that we can learn lessons and truth that we need for our lives today. And I pray that we would live in light of these things, that we would rejoice in your goodness, that we would praise you, that we would worship you. Lord, that we would be people who uh, are concerned with decency and order and see that we serve a God like that. Um, Father, May we learn the lessons that we should in a positive way, but may we also learn the lessons of, of how it's easy to promise obedience but difficult to follow it because of the sinful human nature. And may we just put off the, the sins of the flesh and live to the glory of God as we learned about even this morning from the New Testament. And uh, may our lives be well-pleasing to you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.